Okay, so we started week before last this series based on Hebrews chapter 6, which is kind of about looking back at the basics of faith. I'd like to read you that passage again, but I'm going to read it to you in the message version because I think it's quite hilarious, actually. So it's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, which says this. So come on, let's leave the preschool fingerprinting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. God helping us, we'll stay true to all of that. But there's so much more. Let's get on with it. Now, the thing is, we are going to do some finger-painting exercises, not literally, in this series, because the whole reason that the writer of Hebrews needs to say that is because however far we've journeyed in our faith, however mature we think we are, we have this tendency to forget the basics. Have you ever found that? You know, we get so busy doing the big grown-up stuff that we actually forget some of the basics. And so we're using this series as an opportunity actually to go back to some of those foundational truths and get rooted in them again, because that's something we need to always be doing. And so this week, in the message it was called um, Trust Toward God, but in the NIV it says Faith in God. So this week we're looking at this idea of faith in God. And I want to start by asking ourselves, how much faith do you have? How much faith do you have? And I wonder if you went out onto the high street right now and found someone who wasn't in church this morning and asked them, how much faith do you have, what they might say. Because I would imagine a lot of people who wouldn't call themselves religious would say, well, I don't have faith. I'm not a Christian or any other faith. I don't have faith. And I would suggest to you that they're wrong. Because actually, we all have faith. In fact, you guys are demonstrating incredible faith right now. You are sitting on a chair. You are placing your life in the hands of the chair that you are sitting on. When you sat down on that chair, you put your whole weight on that seat in faith that it would hold you up. It might be quite a straightforward one, but that's faith. The definition of faith that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, helps if you turn your clicker on, Claire, is this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So with that chair, you're sitting on something you don't know for certain it's going to hold you up, but you are confident that it will. You haven't seen it yet, but you're confident it will. Another way you've demonstrated faith this morning. Who came to church by car this morning? Anyone come by car this morning? So you guys were placing faith in the brakes of your car. Yes? You were placing faith in the fact that when there was another car coming in front of you, when you pressed your foot on the brake pedal, the car would stop. Yes? Yeah? That was an act of faith. Who came to church by public transport this morning? 
And this again illustrates something about faith, because I'm imagining that's because you don't have much faith in public transport, yes? Yeah. There's nothing on Sunday, so it's really not a good idea to have faith in it. We've had an interesting experience as a family with public transport recently, haven't we, Kezia? It's been so much fun. Kezia started sixth form this year, which means she has to get to Cambridge for sixth form every day and then get home again. And the theory is that you do this by public transport. You catch a train from Newmarket train station. Anyone ever tried catching a train from Newmarket train station? Yeah. Okay. Was it a good thing to put your faith in, the train from Newmarket train station? Generally speaking, no. And the point I want us to consider there is the thing with faith is not about how much faith you have in something. How much faith you have in it isn't what really matters. Because actually, Kezia could stand at Newmarket train station with incredible faith that the train is going to turn up on time, that there's going to be room for her to get on it, and that it's actually then going to complete its journey to Cambridge Station in the time it's supposed to. She could have amazing faith in that. That doesn't make it any more likely that the train will actually do that, though. And in our experience, 50% of the time, it's not going to do that. doesn't matter how much faith you've got. What matters is what your faith is in. Now, some things are harder to put our faith in than others. And I thought we needed a little illustration of that. Don't you think we need an illustration? Which means I'm going to need a volunteer. It may involve water. Who's, who's fit? Andrew, you feel it? Um, I would suggest you take your in-ears off. Maybe. Okay. Now, just come and stand in front of my table here. Okay, come and stand sort of here-ish. And, and any other electronics? Excellent. It's okay. I, I, I have taken the necessary safety measures. Now, So, apparently, you can do this thing. Stay standing there. You're good. You're good. Relax. It's all cool. You can do this thing with a glass of water, okay, where you fill the glass with water, and you put a coaster on top of it like this, yeah, and you turn it upside down, and then you take your hand away, and the coaster stays there and holds the water in the glass. You know the trick, yeah? So the question is, Andrew, do you have enough faith in this to come and sit on the chair while I do it over your head. Wow. You're kind of weighing this up, yeah? Let's do it. No, well, hang on, hang on, I've got to do my illustration first. Stand up. <laughs> too much faith. Your son has too much faith, Brian and Ellen. This is too, too easily putting faith in. Now, you might first of all perhaps want some evidence that this actually is true, maybe. Yes? Because first of all, before you're going to sit in that chair and let me do that, you've got to believe this is true. Right. Yeah, because I could be making it up, yeah? Would some evidence help? Well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I thought it would. Should have practiced this beforehand. Right, so <clears throat> I looked it up on Tinternet. Did you? Okay, so pay attention, everybody. No, 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 it was a proper... 100% of it was a proper one, you know, scientific website and everything. So, <clears throat> pay attention, please. There are a couple of concepts at work in this experiment. The first has to deal with pressure, and the second has to do with surface tension. So, 
there are a couple of places where pressure is pushing against the coaster. First, the atmospheric pressure, or the tiny air molecules all around us, are randomly colliding with the bottom of the coaster. And this pressure holds the coaster up. But why doesn't the weight of the water push the coaster down? Isn't the weight of the water enough to overcome the atmospheric pressure pushing against the card? No, indeed. That's what most people would think. But if you look at the top of the glass of water when we do it, you'll notice a small pocket of air. Actually, there isn't much of an opportunity for air to get into that space. So what we've created is a small pocket of low pressure, a place where there really isn't that many air molecules. There are more air molecules pushing up against the bottom of the note card, creating a higher pressure area compared to the lower pressure area inside the air pocket in the glass. And the force from the atmospheric pressure holds the card up, and the low pressure zone in the glass prevents the water's weight from pushing the card down. Okay? But then we've got surface tension as well. Okay, so surface tension is created by how the water molecules orient themselves. I trust you're all following this. Good, okay. Because the oxygen atom steals electrons from the hydrogen atoms in a water molecule, do you feel like you're in a science lesson right now? This is GCSE revision, it's great. Okay, so because they do that, water molecules become a dipole. Everybody say dipole. Dipole. In this case, a molecule that has a positive end and a negative end. If you think about each water molecule like it is a tiny magnet where like charges repel each other and unlike charges attract, you'll see that there is a small attractive forces force between each water molecule. This force is responsible for the surface tension where the water molecules stick together through this attractive force, creating an elastic-like surface area. Right, can you repeat that all again? Because it wasn't this. <laughs> okay, did we all follow that? So, scientific evidence that this will work. Is that enough evidence for you? The answer I'm looking for is no. No. That's not so, what, what might help is, yeah, if you've seen it happen before, yes, if you'd seen it before, and then it might encourage you a bit more, yes? Now, I'm not actually going to demonstrate it for you. This is the point where we pretend, hang on, hang on, we're going to pretend at this point that when I practiced at home, it worked every time. Actually, it didn't. But we're going to pretend when I tried this at home, it worked every time. Okay. Yeah. So, have you got enough faith yet? No. No, he hasn't. Because you are now at the point, Andrew, where I've provided you with all this evidence that you believe it is true. But you've also got to believe that I'm good. Well, that's, that's my problem. Because, you see, it may work scientifically, but do you have faith in me to actually do it properly and not, you know, slip the coaster away on you? So what you're going to have to weigh up here is what you know of me as a person. <laughs> now, you've known me a long time, Andrew. Am I the kind of person that you can trust to actually keep you dry in this situation? Well, 
gonna go with yes, just because. You fool! You fool! Okay, we we will presume that Andrew has seen me to be a trustworthy, reliable person who never does anything cruel and mean to him, and always takes great doesn't, care of him. Doesn't ever turn around my tent. No, never, never in the middle, you know, whilst you've nipped off the loo, turns your tent around while camping so that the door's at the opposite end. I would never do a thing like that. Never. Okay, so, has Andrew now got faith? He's decided, it's true, this scientifically works. He's decided foolishly that I am good. He can put his faith in me to do it right. There's one final step he has to do to have faith in this. You've actually got to come and sit under the glass because you can stand there and say that you have faith, but to really have faith, you've got to come and sit under it. Wow. I'm just going to ask you to move the chair forward a little before you do say. that, perhaps away from... Some, somewhere there would be good. Somewhere there would be good. No thanks, no thanks. My bag is good where it is. And it is true, this only worked in ooh, about 30% of my trials. <laughs> Can I, can I offer you a tea towel? Sit, sit, sit. <laughs> How much water would you like in the glass? Oh, yeah. Just... Oh. How much actually works? I have no idea how much actually works. It might work. You never know. It did work some of the time. Right, okay, okay. This so isn't going to work. Oh, 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 oh. Your dad's filming this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. Sorry, Andrew. I need my tea towels to dry my hands off now. Thank you very much, Andrew. Give him a round of applause. We're being a good sport. Yeah, you can keep the hat on for a while if you like. You know. We'll just mop the floor a bit there. Okay. To be fair, Andrew knows me well enough to know he shouldn't have trusted me with that one, frankly. But there we go. Okay, so there's three steps of faith there. You've got to believe something's true. Then you've got to believe it's good, that it's the right thing. Then you've actually got to come and sit under it. So why am I holding that microphone? I already have a microphone. It's this thing I want in my hand. Okay. So, question for you then. What is your faith in? What is your faith in? Now, getting back to the Bible, after our little diversion there, this passage that this series is rooted in is is in the book of Hebrews. So it's written to the Hebrews. Now, let's ask the question, what was the Hebrews' faith in? What was their faith in? And their faith was tied to a covenant between them and God. If we read in in Exodus chapter 19, God says to them, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. So there's kind of this core in their faith about obeying God, 
about following laws. You see, they were given the Ten Commandments through Moses. God gave them the Ten Commandments. And there's a whole bunch of other laws they have. Apparently, there's approximately 613 laws that the Hebrews would have been trying to follow. And so their faith is in this covenant relationship through which they put their faith in God. And there's this essence of what we're hearing there, that if they follow the laws, then life's good. If they don't follow the laws, it all goes wrong. Okay? The thing is, it wasn't that straightforward. Because it's easy to think that it's that simple. But actually, in reality, they didn't always follow the laws. And the law itself had a provision for that. So they had the whole system of sacrifices. So because they were aware, yeah, I'm never keeping this perfectly, there would be various animal sacrifices that would be made at the temple on their behalf as payment for the consequences of whatever laws they weren't following. Okay? It's very easy, therefore, for us to assume that their faith in God was purely about the law. And it's a common misunderstanding to think that that's all it was. If I follow the law, life goes well. If I don't, life goes wrong. But that's not what we actually see in the history of the Hebrews. Yes, they did fail to follow the law a lot of the time. And yes, life did then start going wrong. But they would then call out to God, help me, make it better, God. And he did. Yeah? He did. So their faith actually wasn't in the law. Their faith was in the goodness of God. Because whether they kept the law or not, God still looked out for them. They still came back to him. Their faith really was in God. And their obedience to the law was a way of showing their faith in God. What the law actually did was make them very aware that their faith couldn't be in their own ability to follow the law. Ultimately, their faith had to be in God's goodness to them because they couldn't follow the law. So their faith wasn't actually in a thing in the law. It was in the person of God. And so I want to change the question to who is your faith in? Because actually, our faith is in a person, not in a thing. The chairs you're sitting on Your faith isn't really in the chair. It's in whoever designed the chair, whoever made the chair, that they actually made it strong enough to support you. We talked about faith in your car's brakes to work. Your faith actually is in whoever last adjusted your car's brakes. Yeah? It's in a person. So who is your faith in? Is your faith in yourself, in your ability to make the right decisions, to do the right things, to be wise, to get it right, to play the game right? You may or may not have come to the point of realizing that actually that's not a good thing to put your faith in. 
If you haven't yet come to the point of realizing that putting your faith in your own ability is a bad idea, I strongly advise that you come to that realization sooner rather than later, before things go horribly wrong and you learn the hard way. We can't put our faith in ourselves because we are flawed. We don't always get it right. Just like the Hebrews discovered when they tried following the Lord, they didn't always get it right. If you've come to the point of realizing you can't put your faith in yourself alone, perhaps you've tried putting your faith in other people. Perhaps in a marriage partner. That actually, yeah, them and me together, we've got it sorted. Or perhaps in a parent. Actually, yes, if I just follow everything my parents say, sorted. Or some expert on life, one of these life coaches. Yeah, if if I just get together with them, they'll get me sorted if I just follow everything they say. The problem is no one is actually good enough to put your faith in completely. Everyone is flawed. Everyone is weak. The Hebrews found that in all of their nation, there was no right person who was actually enough. They had their various kings who led them. None of them were perfect. None of them got it all right. There was no right person they could put their faith in until Jesus came. Jesus is perfect. He did and continues to get it all right. Never made a mistake. Never messed up. Always got it right. But not only that... He chose to go to the cross to make that sacrifice to pay for the consequences of all of our mess-ups. He is the one that we can put all our faith in. In Hebrews 10, verse 1-ish, I think it is, and there's a bit in verse 10 as well, it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The law is only a shadow of things that are coming. What they had in the law and that system of sacrifice wasn't enough to save them. They couldn't simply put their faith in that. It wasn't enough, but it was looking forward to the sacrifice that Jesus would make, which, as it says there, was once for all, that one sacrifice that, yes, was hinted at by all the sacrifices they made when they were following the law, that one sacrifice was enough. And so, actually, the Hebrews were putting their faith in Jesus. They didn't know it yet. But by showing that adherence to the law, that's what they were putting their faith in. And so the question for us, we have a benefit that the Hebrews didn't. Jesus has been. He's lived that perfect life. He's died. He's risen again. Will we put our faith in him? what has to actually happen to put our faith in Jesus? If we think back to our demonstration with Andrew of what he had to do to have faith in the glass of water thing, 
He had to believe it was true. He had to believe I was good. And he actually had to come and sit under the glass. And we have to go through that process with Jesus. We need, first of all, to believe that Jesus is true. Is he really the Son of God? Did he really live a perfect life? Did he really die on the cross? Did he really come back to life again? You can weigh up all the evidence for that. Do you believe it's true? If you're unsure about any of the evidence for that, by the way, if if you have any doubts on that, do come and grab me afterwards. There's various books and resources that can actually walk you through. There, There is pretty good evidence for all of the truth of that. So if you want to look into that, do give me a shout. So you can believe all the evidence, but then you've got to believe he's good. Because you see, there's actually a verse in the Bible that points out, you know, someone who believes that Jesus is true, someone who believes that Jesus was the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died, that he rose again, someone who absolutely believes in the truth of who Jesus was and what he did is the devil. The devil believes Jesus was the Son of God. Yeah? The the devil believes that Jesus, by dying, would save people. He believes all of that. He believes it to be true. The devil just doesn't agree with it. He knows it's true, but he doesn't agree with it because he doesn't think it's right. He doesn't think it's good. He wants his own way. So it's not enough to simply believe in the truth of who Jesus is and what he did, you've got to believe he's good. How do you come to believe that? Let's think of the example earlier with Andrew. In order to make that decision, he had to think back of what he knew of me as a person, didn't he? Yeah? How has Claire treated me in the past? How have I seen her treat other people? Has she shown herself to be reliable, to be looking out for my best interests, or is she actually not very trustworthy? And you two can stop smirking at the back there. We have to go through that with Jesus. You can believe he's true, but actually, do you believe he's good? Do you believe he's trustworthy to put your faith in? Do you believe that actually his plan for you is the best plan, that he wants the very best for you. And sometimes, to answer that question, we can't always answer it straight away. Sometimes we need to test him out a little bit, put our faith in him for the small things, and let him prove himself to be faithful, to be trustworthy, so that we can find that faith for the bigger things. But then, having done all of that... Believe he's true. Believe he's good. Sometimes we get stuck at that point. We say, yeah, I believe in him. But we've got to actually come and sit under him. We've got to actually then choose to say, yeah, I'm going to trust in you with my life. I'm going to come and sit under you. I'm going to put you in charge. I'm going to follow your lead. That's when it really becomes faith that choice. And I've got a video to 
make it help us think about that choice of actually coming to sit in faith. Impossible. Nobody can jump this. Ah! Indy! And you must hurry! before. Anyone still in the bit before, you're trying to see the path in the bit before he steps in, like you know it's there, but you can't see it. What I want you to think about there in that illustration, so that's, for, for those of you, for those younger folk who it was before your time, that was Indiana Jones. Cool movie. You need to see it. So Indy, as we call him, if we're friends with him there, is standing on that brink, and he has to make that decision of faith. Now, from what you saw of him there, do you think he felt confident as he took that step? Did he feel faith? No. He was terrified. It wasn't a feeling. It was a choice. Regardless of his feeling, he chose to believe. He chose to put his faith in taking that step. And that's the point we come to with God. Because as it said in Hebrews 11, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. You cannot see it all in advance. Faith is choosing to take that step and putting your faith in God even when You can't see how it's all going to work out. That's what faith is. It's a choice. So you can do your research into the evidence for for who Jesus is and what he did for us and see if it's true. You, You can choose to believe that he is good. You can test him out a bit. You can ask other people of their experience of Jesus and believe, yes, he's good. But ultimately, you have a choice to make. It's not about what you feel, it's about choosing to put your faith in him for your life. And we're going to have a chance to do that in a moment. But there's one more thing I want us to reflect on before we do that. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
Thinking back to those Hebrews again, we have that verse where it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The law is a shadow of the good things that are coming. When the Hebrews were living by their faith in God, they didn't know about Jesus. They hadn't seen Jesus yet. He hadn't come yet. And for a lot of them, they lived through that faith, day in, day out, never truly seeing the ultimate outcome of what their faith was in. And yet they still lived by faith in God. And as we live by faith in Jesus, he has made so many promises to us, but we may not see them just yet. Our faith is in something we don't yet see, something that is yet to come. Revelation speaks of the the ultimate thing that our faith is in, of heaven. Let me just read you from that Revelation chapter 21. So this is John who, God gives John a vision of heaven. Revelation 21. He He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the destination of our faith. But we're not going to see all of that yet. As we live by faith now, we get little glimpses of that. We do see God's goodness in our life but we will only see the fullness of it when Jesus comes back. Will we choose to put our faith in him when we can't see it all yet? And so as we draw to a close, I'd like to give us an opportunity to pray together. First of all, an opportunity to pray to put our faith in Jesus. For some of us, that's going to be one of many times that we've done that. For some of us, it might be the first time we've done that. But wherever we are, we need to be continually putting our faith in him, making that choice day by day. So let's do that first. I've put a prayer up on the screen so that you know what we're going to be saying because I I hate it when people say a line and expect us to say it back when we don't know what's coming because they might say something I don't want to say. So you can check it out first to see if you want to pray this with us. And then we will all pray it out loud together to affirm our faith in him. 
just giving people a chance to have reached the end and make sure there's nothing in there that they don't like. Shall we pray that together then, church, out loud? Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose again to life. I believe you did this out of goodness and love for me so I can be forgiven. I choose to put my faith in you. Amen. Amen. Now, you may have put your faith in him for the first time, or it may be one of many times. But wherever you're at right now, I want you to take a moment now, just close your eyes, and consider, what do you need to put your faith in God for today? Where have you perhaps actually been putting your faith in your own ability? Or perhaps you've been putting your faith in someone else. And maybe God's prompting you to say, no, you need to put your faith in me. You need to trust me. You need to believe who I am. You need to know that I am good. And you need to come and sit under me with this thing. And I'm going to ask the band to come back up now because we're going to finish in worship. But while they're starting to play, so crack on with it when you're ready, band, I want you to think of that thing and make that decision. Like we looked at Indiana Jones standing on that edge, making that decision. I don't know if you feel faith yet on whatever it is you've got in mind, but will you choose to put your faith in God? And if you do choose to put your faith in God, sometimes it's really helpful to actually tell someone that. Because what I find is if if I decide in my head and don't tell anybody else, then actually having taken that first step, it's very easy to just sneak back again before anybody notices. So why not, if there's something you're choosing to put your faith in God for this morning, if you're choosing to take that step forward, be brave and right now, Get your phone out and message someone you trust with it. Just send a message saying, I'm putting my faith in God for whatever it is. Let them know so that you take away that option of sneaking back. So as we worship, when you feel ready, we won't judge you if you're getting your phone out during worship this morning, okay? We'll trust you're not on Facebook or whatever. Send a little message to someone to say, hey, I'm putting my faith in God for this. We can trust him. He is good. He does care for us. He is reliable. And one day, we will see that outcome. of that. They call him the perfecter of our faith. He brings it to perfection. Let's pray for little glimpses of that today in hope of what's to come, what he has for us as we trust in him. So let's worship him as we do that.